You are currently listening to a Suffolk free radio podcast. The views and opinions expressed on the best of Beantown podcast are the views and opinions of the show personalities only and do not reflect those of Suffolk University, Suffolk free radio, or those of the student leadership and involvement office. Adult language may be used. Listener discretion is advised. Howdy, howdy, and welcome to episode nine of the Best of Beantown podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Josh DePeel, here with Chris Sliwa and James Sampson. How are you guys doing today? Doing good. Crazy oh. week, to say the least, in the sports world. Celtics are uh, Celtics got a win tonight, so I'm in a better mood. Yep. You know, not only did the Celtics pick up a win, but the Red Sox picked up another one. It's the third straight victory. We're going to head out, head out over to Fenway for our first topic of the day. Uh, the Red Sox, they started their season since we last had our um, episode eight. They started their season against the Orioles, and they got swept for the second time ever in a home opener. It was the first time it happened since 1948. But then they responded and come back to win three straight and sweep the Rays, the reigning American League champions, including an extra win, um, an excuse, <laughs> excuse me, an extra innings win, uh, walk off hit by JD Martinez. Chris, what do you think about the Red Sox responding after a three-game losing streak to three game to a three-game winning streak? Definitely feeling better than I was three days ago when they got swept by the Orioles, that's for sure. But um, if I am correct, I did say last weekend that if – or last episode that if the Sox lost two out of the first three to the Orioles, that I was going to give up on the season. I might be going back on my word after the past three games against the Rays, but then again, I I just still don't believe in the pitching. They they obviously did good this year against the Rays, but I just don't know if they'll be consistent all year long. The bats woke up today and last night, which is good to see. But I, I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know how to feel about this team right now. Losing three to the Orioles, who they should have beat, but then sweeping the Rays, who you just mentioned, Josh, were in the World Series last year. So I really don't know how to feel about this team right now, truthfully. What about you, James? Yeah, so the part of the team that I thought wouldn't be an issue was definitely an issue the first series against the Orioles, where the bats – weren't there at all. I think we had less than 10 hits in the first three games. So that was something that I wasn't expecting, but the pitching has been pretty consistent the first couple of series here. And that if that's kind of what I've been saying this whole time, if they can get the pitching on track, I actually think that this season could be pretty successful because I think the bats are going to be there. They have way too much talent on that side of the ball. And I think this team showed a lot of um, character in that, in the uh, second game of the series against the Rays where they came back, um, they were down three times, and they came back and won the game with J.D. Martinez, who who might be the hottest hitter in baseball right now, um, hit that one over uh, Randy's head. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm actually pretty optimistic. I know the first the first series getting swept by the Orioles is um, a bad look, but that is why they play so many games. That's why they're going to play 162 again. So, you know, just based off of two series, I'm I'm actually feeling pretty good about the Red Sox. I think that the pitching was the big issue here, and I think, through it's a small sample size, but through two series, they've looked pretty strong pitching wise. Yeah, I will say because 
just the difference that we're seeing, at least I'm seeing from the fan base in terms of the reactions that we saw after the last game against the Orioles to this game that we won earlier today is just night and day. People were blowing their minds at just how pathetic this team looked in the first three games of the season. And then they come in and they just looked like the 2018 Red Sox. I mean, the offense was kicking you know what jd martinez and christian vasquez are both hitting over 400 right now and nady avaldi he had two starts um his he started in the opener he pitched five innings and allowed one run on four hits and he but the red sox didn't give him any run support they were shut out so he lost but today he um pitched again had another great outing. He is now one and one with 12.1 innings pitched, 11 strikeouts, and a 1.46 ERA. And just so you know, just to kind of clarify, he was basically the ace right now. So Chris Sale is out, and Eduardo Rodriguez is not pitching yet because he's taking some time because he has an injury. So great sign to see Eovaldi kicking because he was kind of average and petering off a little bit after like um, the 2018 season. He was kind of just meh in the 2019 and 2020 years, but um, Xander Bogarts, he started the season one for 12. That was his um, stats against the Orioles, and now he's eight for his last 12. So the offense, I don't know if it was just the Rays pitching, but um, Tyler Glass now was on the mound today, and we just completely got to him all, all game long. The bats woke up, so it's very encouraging to see that, but also I hope this isn't a sign that the Red Sox are going to be playing down to their competition and playing up to their competition because you know the Orioles aren't exactly the prominent team in the American League right American League right now while the Rays were just in the World Series last year. And you mentioned playing down to their competition and playing up to it at times that's kind of been the story of Boston sports teams the past couple years I I just for some reason they like to play bad against the bad teams but good against the good teams it really doesn't make sense to me and like we've established the the offense, to me, is really never going to be a problem this year. It hasn't been the past couple of years. I just don't know if I can trust the pitching staff, although they've looked pretty solid so far. I just don't know if they'll be able to keep it up all season long. And they are going to be playing the Orioles at Camden Yards. That's their next series. So we, w- we are going to see if this hot streak or if that um, first series against Baltimore was just kind of rustiness from the offseason. So um, – that's a big series, at least for an indication of what we're going to be able to expect for the rest of the year. And also, I will say that our bullpen hasn't been half bad. Like, they've been, they've not, you know, been destroyed in any – they were kind of destroyed in the last game against Baltimore. But other than that, they've been pretty solid. Matt Barnes had two great innings um, last night against the Rays before J.D. walked him off. Um, but also, because this is the first that I'm noticing, I don't – I was told – or I heard earlier today watching an A's game that this is the first year or no, this is the second year that they're including the runner on second in extra innings. But I researched it and it said it was, this is the first year that they're bringing it up from the minor league. So I'm hearing conflicting information, but I, as far as I know, I don't remember it being, or I don't remember it happening last year. So what do you guys think about this new rule change that we're seeing in the MLB for extra innings this year? I don't know. Baseball is one of those sports where like they kind of want to keep things the same, like, uh, you know, tradition wise. That's why they haven't really been pushing like an actual timer, like a pitch timer, things like that. So I think it's interesting that they would decide to make a vast change because this is that one sport that I feel like is always just kind of kind of be what the tradition was. 
So it's going to be interesting to see how the fans take in the, this new rule. Um, baseball is a sport that caters kind of more to the older generations. Um, so we're, I'm, I'll be interested to see how it's going to be re- received by the fans. Um, but I guess things have changed too because, you know, just today, uh, today's broadcast was only on YouTube, which again, doesn't really cater towards that older crowd. So I think maybe baseball is trying to get with the times and kind of speed up games and, and make games more interesting, kind of like um, hockey, what they did with overtime, um, putting in the shootout instead of going to multiple overtimes, things like that, kind of just like keeping the regular season, speeding up those games. So it could be interesting. I'd, I'd like to see if it has any pushback, though, once once the games start doing that. So what do you think, Chris? At first, I don't think I was really too fond of the, the new extra inning rule having a runner on second, but I think – over the season, I may start to grow into it more. I think, like, I think we have to give it a season to see how, what kind of impact it actually has. Like, we after this season, I think they need to take a look at like what teams more like like win when that when that runner is on second. Uh, I don't know something like that, but yeah, it was kind of weird seeing that last night in the extra innings. But at the same time, it did also help the Sox in a way. So can't really complain too much. But I think we kind of just have to give it the entire season to see what kind of impact it's going to have on the game going forward because you never know maybe it doesn't work maybe it doesn't work this year like people expected so they just get rid of the next year but I don't think that'll happen I think the purpose of it is to speed up the game which hopefully it does and also I forget who mentioned it but now with this runner on second and extra innings you don't have people just swinging for the fences every pitch you have guys actually playing strategically like we saw an intentional walk in extra innings last night we saw an actual bunt which bunts the bunts are dying in baseball now. So it's interesting to see the smaller things in the game coming back as well with this new rule. I actually really do like the rule. Like, cause I didn't even know that I completely forgot that it was going to be implemented. So when I saw that runner on second and I saw Matt Barnes come out with zero outs, I, was, I thought I missed something. Like when I grabbed food, I was like, wait, did he give up double? I'm like, no, it's just, that's the new rules that are going on. So I actually really liked it. I think it's a really similar to what college football overtime rules are, where they start, I think, at the 20-yard. I don't remember. But they start on the other opponent's side of the field, and they have to get in and score or else, you know, they – it's like a – something like that. I think it's actually really interesting. It increases the tension. Like I like you said, Chris, I like it now that people aren't going to be swinging for walk-off home runs every pitch. So I think this is going to help improve the excitement a little bit in the game, but I don't want to see this carried over into the postseason. I think this should stick strictly to the regular season because I think if this was put into the postseason, it would kind of ruin the tension of extra innings baseball in the playoffs. Um, That's just my opinion, but I do really like the rule in the regular season. I think it's really interesting and it's causing a lot of these games to just um, have, like I said, it's going to have tension for like however many innings this game goes, like go back and forth between half innings for each team. And, you know, whoever lets up first is the team that's going to lose. I just find it really interesting. Um, but also one thing I do want to touch on before we go, um, JD Martinez actually played in right field today because Christian Vasquez was the DH. That's just how good Vasquez is playing right now. Um, is there any, um, kind of red flags that you guys saw in the lineup so far this season for the Red Sox? Not necessarily. I think 
Alex Cora is having a great time having so many guys that are versatile, being able to play so many different positions like Kike Hernandez, Marvin Gonzalez, even Alex Verdugo. He's been playing every single position in the outfield. So I haven't had any problem with the lineup so far. I think Cora is just having a lot of fun switching it up however he pleases. And it's pretty, pretty cool to see. The only one that stands out to me is I think Bobby Dahlbeck's hitting way too low, but I'm kind of high on him. I think he's got a lot of potential, especially um, home run department wise. So I think he should be hitting higher than eight. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's a pretty solid lineup. Uh, Kiki Hernandez is kind of struggling right now, but he's also an, um, a newcomer. So I think he'll get his back going and he's never been a leadoff hitter before either. So we'll see how it pans out. But yeah, other than Dahlbeck, I think is a little bit too low. I think the lineup's pretty pretty strong yeah Kiki's never been I don't I don't want to say like a 300 hitter he's always been kind of like a Brock Holt 250-ish 230-ish kind of guy so if we can get that out of him and put him in multiple different positions I think we're going to be good in our lineup in the long run but uh, moving on we're going to be talking about not a current Celtic but a former Celtic who also formerly worked at ESPN just until the past two days. And I know, James, you want to talk about this. So tell us a little bit what happened with Paul Pierce this week. So Paul Pierce had himself a, a fun uh, fun night. Apparently he's not too concerned about losing his job because he recently tw- uh, tweeted out, um, and I quote, I can't lose even when I lose, I'm winning with a bunch of emojis. So basically what happened was he – he broadcasted like many of many people do nowadays. Um, it was a live stream. There was definitely some racy things going on. Women wearing not too much clothing. Um, a lot of looks like a lot of gambling going on, poker tables. Um, it was just an, it was definitely not a professional scene, and I don't think something that ESPN would want to be associated with. So I kind of see why that would happen. Um, but yeah, so he posted that he was having a great night with his friends. Um, and it did cost his job at ESPN that he was let go of. Um, so I want to know what, what you guys think about that. I know, um, you know, recent topics like Myers, Leonard, things like that. Uh, what do you guys think about people broadcasting all of these things in their lives and kind of not, not realizing what the consequences are? Do you guys think this was the right move for him to be let go by ESPN? Um, so, <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, I don't really think Paul pa- Paul Pierce really cares too much. I think there was another tweet he put out saying the truth would come out eventually. So who knows? There was rumors that maybe his contract was coming to an end with ESPN anyways. So maybe this was just them getting rid of him early. And I mean, let's be real. He had some awful takes on ESPN. So I don't think anyone's too upset that he's out of there now. I, and I'm, I'm sure he won't be out of a job too long. I know Dave Portnoy from Barstool has pretty much said they're going to try to make a run at him for some kind of basketball stuff with them going on. So I don't think Paul Pierce is too upset right now about right now about the whole situation. I want to point out, this is, this is from the score. So there was a report today that adult film site Cam Soda offered Paul Pierce $250,000 to work as an NBA analyst with exotic dancers. So, I mean, that's just... That just kind of tells <laughs> that just kind of tells you the week that Paul Pierce is having, man. I, I just it's I he's like he's solidified. No matter what he's gonna do, he's still gonna be like a Celtics legend just for what he's done. He's still the freaking truth. But I mean, good God, man, his career as an analyst just took a complete nosedive in just about a matter of two three days. The closest thing that I can remember this being to is. 
I don't know if you guys remember when Antonio Brown was in the locker room and he IG lived uh, Mike Tallman's post game speech. I forget who they beat, but I think that was the most similar thing. But this wasn't even like a game. This was just like he was with strippers. <laughs> I mean, uh, looked like um, he was at home. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was somewhere. So it's definitely not something that ESPN wanted to have per, have them portrayed as. So they got rid of him. They're gonna find another ESPN another NBA analyst. They'll have no problem doing that. They have a lot already. They have Scotty. They got T-Mac. You know, they have all those guys. Um, James, what do you think about Paul Pierce leaving ESPN? Do you think this was the right move for the company to get rid of him? Or do you think he should have just been kind of like suspended and still kept on returned at a later date? Yeah, I think they kind of jumped ahead too far. I think it probably should have started with a suspension because he hasn't had like too many incidents where, where things like this have happened. Um, it's kind of crazy to see how his career has kind of like, since he's entered the broadcasting booth, like a lot of things have come up. Like I'm sure you guys heard about his, his, uh, final stories where he, you know, got carried off in a wheelchair and apparently had to use the bathroom. I mean, Hey, I mean, that happens. We all have to use the bathroom, but it's just funny how like these things come out after like a player is done playing. And like, you know, he, he said that he definitely had a better career than Dwayne Wade, um, so, I mean, his, his takes as an analysis are kind of like out there anyways, but I think that they were a little too quick to, to terminate his contract because like, for instance, like what Myers Leonard did was I think a lot more offensive than what Paul Pierce did, which was just having a fun time while he's not on the clock. Um, I don't think it was too offensive. I mean, sure. That's not, like I said, it's not the image that ESPN is going for, you know, they're about sports and entertainment. Um, and that was a little bit entertaining. I was going to say that's a little bit too much entertainment. (laughs) So yeah, no, I think they, they should have started with the suspension because, um, at the end of the day, Paul Pierce is a pretty good personality to have on the show and he hasn't had many instances like this. So I think they, they took it too far, but like, like you guys said, I don't think he's going to be hurting for a job anytime soon. He'll probably be back on his feet very shortly. So let's also address the elephant in the room here. This isn't exclusive to Paul Pierce. A lot of NBA players do this kind of thing. You know, you just, they, they're not dumb enough to actually stream it on Instagram live. Like we've seen James, we've seen pictures of James Harden and freaking Lou Williams in the bubble last season when he went over to Magic City in, in Atlanta and he broke COVID protocol just so he could go to a club. I mean, I mean, these some things, chicken wings. Yeah, they, these things happen. So um, just, I, it was, I don't know what he was thinking. Like, you know what? I'm, I feel like I need to stream this, you know. This, this is something that my followers are really going to want to see. I just – I don't understand what was processing through his mind in the moment. So, um, poor judgment, I'd say by him. So. You're uh, mentioning him, like, what, what he was thinking. I don't think he was thinking very much because there was also something being smoked in that video. So, I don't think his uh, brain cells were all there when he went and broadcasted that. Yeah, he was on his own planet for sure. That is very true. All right, moving on. We're going to go over to the NFL. We got some big NFL draft trades that happened this last week. Uh, The 49ers moved up to pick number three. They traded with the Dolphins, who acquired the number three pick from the Texans in the Laramie Tunsil trade. Um, So the Niners, to move up to number three, they gave up the number six pick. Um, The number one – oh, no. Okay, so – it's really complicated. There's three teams involved. Um, the Niners moved up 
they traded with the Dolphins, and then the Dolphins traded the assets that they've acquired with the Niners to the Eagles. So I'm going to just list off what each team got. So the um, the Dolphins, they got um, pick number six and pick 156 in 2021. That's from the Eagles. And then in 2022, they got a first-rounder and a third-rounder from the Niners. And then 2023, they got a first-rounder from the Niners. And then um, – so San Francisco this year – they got the number three pick. And then this year, the Eagles got the number 12 pick um, from the Dolphins, who got it from the 49ers. And then they also got the, the Eagles also got the number 123 pick in this year. And then in 2022, they have the first rounder from the Dolphins. So the 49ers are securely in the top three of the NFL draft, likely going to draft a quarterback because a lot of signs are pointing to Jimmy Garoppolo ending. Um, he's still going to be on the roster, but it's there's a lot of indications that he's not going to be the guy moving forward forward for the next couple of years. So this could mean um, Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, depending on if those guys drop past the top two picks. Um, and then there's also Mac Jones, who is highly rumored as being the top selection for the Niners. Then there's also Trey Lance and Justin Fields. So guys, what do you make of the 49ers trading up into the top three of the NFL draft? It doesn't really make much sense to me, I guess you could say. I mean, it definitely looks like they're going to draft a quarterback and groom him for maybe a year or two while Jimmy Garoppolo remains a starter. But I don't know. I'm just not really that high on any of these quarterbacks and their potential in the future. So I think it would probably be best for the Niners to stick with Jimmy Garoppolo for the future. But who knows? Maybe maybe they just see something in Mac Jones or whoever they're going to get at three and go from there. But – I don't know. There's been a lot of movement and a lot of rumors with all these different quarterbacks. It's just so hard to keep up now. Yeah, I think it's definitely going to be – you don't trade that much capital capital to not get a position like a quarterback. So I definitely, definitely think it's going to be a quarterback, and I know that they're linked to Mac Jones right now, but I kind of think that's a smokescreen because I honestly think that if they get to number three and it goes how it is like projected right now with Lawrence first, and then Zach Wilson second. I think that they'll end up probably taking Justin Fields, to be honest with you, because um, he's been showing out on his pro day. He's definitely, in my opinion, the most athletic quarterback in the draft. And I just don't think – I think the Mac Jones hype is just uh, overplayed. I honestly don't think he, he should go as high as three. Um, of course he can. I mean, he's a quarterback, and he set a bunch of records at Alabama. But I think it's actually – I think the 49ers are looking probably at a Justin Fields and probably get an athletic quarterback for the first time since Colin Kaepernick. Um, and I think they're probably about done with the Jimmy G experience, which is interesting, obviously, as a Patriots fan, because I don't know. Bill, Bill Belichick doesn't usually trade up. So I wonder if this would make Jimmy G become more readily available for a better better price, because um, I believe there's no way that they're not taking quarterback here at number three. Um, they gave up way too much to not get the quarterback of the future. Yeah, James, if it's a smoke screen that they're saying for Mac Jones for the Niners, it's a damn good smoke screen because all I've been hearing lately is about Mac Jones going to Kyle Shanahan because Kyle Shanahan, because they're just in love with the kid. Um, but this is big news because after the um, 49ers pick, um, I don't know what the Falcons are going to do because they still have Matt Ryan on the roster. We don't know what the future holds for them. So they could potentially draft a quarterback, but I don't know. I think they're just kind of juggling all options at this point. The Bengals still have Joe Burrow. The Dolphins, I think, are still going to try to work on 
um, getting Tua to be the guy. So they're probably going to draft some weapons to surround him with. And then the Lions, who just got Jared Goff, and the Panthers, who we're going to talk about in just a minute and the moves they made. And then the Broncos, they have Drew Locke. Whether that means he's going to be the main guy heading forward, we don't know. But I heard a lot of rumors that he, um, a lot of Denver front office officials love Drew Locke and they really like him. And then the Cowboys, they just signed Dak to a massive contract. The Giants, I think they want to give Daniel Jones one last, one more chance with a lot more weapons. That's why they signed um, Kenny Galladay this offseason. Then the Eagles are probably going to go with Jalen Hurts as their main guy. I don't know if they're going to draft a quarterback that high in the first round. The Chargers, they have Justin Herbert. Um, the Vikings, they have Kirk Cousins. And then it comes to Bill Belichick at number 15. So, I mean – Assuming that no one trades up, but I really doubt that. There's going to be some trades for a team that moves up into the top 15. But after the Falcons, who I don't even know if there's the potential to take a quarterback and maybe the Broncos, there's a strong possibility that a quarterback is going to end up falling to number 15. And, you know, whether that's Justin Fields, whether that's Mac Jones, whether that's Trey Lance, that's going to be very enticing. But knowing Billy's probably just going to trade back because he loves his draft capital. But... I'm very intrigued about the possibility of us drafting Justin Fields at 15. And I posted this on my Twitter yesterday. If Justin Fields drops to number 15 for the Patriots, is he an automatic take with that pick? Uh, I don't know. I don't know, to be honest. I do know there is some linebacker from Tulsa. I forget his name, but he's, I believe he's one of the best defensive players in the draft and like, like mid D one defensive player from like not that big of a school. That just sounds like Bill Belichick written all over it. I think he might try to go after that, that guy. I forget, I, I forget his name to be honest, but there's been a lot of hype for him. But you're, a minute ago, you were talking about the Falcons at four and there's a lot of rumors that they're listening to calls. So I won't be surprised if someone tries to nab the number four spot from them. Mm-hmm. And who knows, maybe it's the Patriots, but I can't see them. Uh, trading up for for anything at the moment i can't even believe like we're having a legit conversation about him dropping to 15 because as you guys know he's been kind of like 1a 1b with trevor lawrence even since his high school days he's been very highly recruited for his whole life so if justin fields were to slip to 15 and belichick didn't draft him i honestly don't i mean i (laughs) i would i would expect it but I'd just be like, oh my god! Like the guy landed in your lap. Just, I mean, you have nothing to lose. He was supposed to be. He was supposed to be the second pick of the draft. If you get him at fifteen and you decide to trade back, or I don't know, pick a guy from Rutgers or a D two safety or something like, like Bill Pelagic style, I'll be so mad as a as a fan. But yeah, I think you're right, Chris. I do think that Atlanta, that number four spot is going to be interesting because this might be the first time. Um, in the NFL draft where the first four or five picks are all quarterbacks because it's that's feeling like it could be that type of draft. As soon as they start going, they will. So I, in my honest opinion, I think there's absolutely no way, even after um, we'll talk about this later, the Panthers adding Sam Darnold. I still don't think that there's any way that Justin Fields makes it to 15. I think if the Patriots were to even um, have a chance to get him, they'd have to move up somewhere around that seven to ten range to actually get Justin Fields in which we've already talked about I don't think Belichick's willing to give up more picks to move up so going off I, of what you said a second ago I, I think no matter where the top five quarterbacks get drafted it's going to be record setting for the quarterbacks anyways 
I'm pretty sure that's what I've been reading about. But yeah, we talked about this there, but like all season he was projected number two. And then all of a sudden since the season ended, he has just consistently goes downhill, which it just doesn't make any sense to me. And there's been no games played either. Like, so like, I don't know what they're basing it off of and there's been no off the field stuff. So it's really baffling to me, honestly. I don't, I don't know where it came from. I think, like I said, I think something's going on here and teams are trying to lower his value because the teams that actually want him are in that middle range there. So that's the only thing I can think of. I would say that this right now, this period between the off season and the NFL draft is where teams really start to overanalyze um, people. They start to look a lot more at intangibles rather than overall production. That's why Zach Wilson, I think, has really risen in this NFL draft. He's essentially the presumptuous number two overall pick right behind Trevor Lawrence now for the Jets, who are probably going to want him to be the next franchise quarterback going forward. So, um, And I think a lot of people are kind of um, – Basing off Justin Fields' history, not not Justin Fields' history, but the Ohio State quarterback history, and placing that on Justin Fields, and I don't think that's fair, but that's just the reality of the situation because Ohio State quarterbacks have not exactly panned out over the last several years. So, um, you know, obviously neither have Alabama quarterbacks, but Mac Jones stocks continue to rise. It's just the aura of Nick Saban. I think every team just loves Alabama guys, and I think. Um, they believe Nick Saban gets them more NFL ready than any other college program in the country. But one thing I do want to say is one team I think that definitely does have the potential to draft up and they're a dark horse, but I really do think the Steelers have a sharp um, potential to potentially go up into the top five and maybe trade with the Falcons. I don't know how much draft capital they have, but how they need a quarterback with Ben Roethlisberger getting up there in age. I really do think Justin Fields would fit well on that Steelers roster. Um, but obviously that's nothing set in stone. That's just me speaking off, off the hip. What do you guys think about um, the Steelers doing that? I, I, that could be something interesting. Like you said, I just don't know where they sit with draft picks right now. So that may be tough with them. Cause sure, what are they? Number 24 they, right now. Yeah, that, that's gonna be that's the thing that's gonna be tough for them. They'll probably have to give up another future first, maybe. Uh-huh. So that might be tough, but that would be that'd be interesting for sure. Yeah, I mean that's not a team that I was thinking of. I I don't know. So they have the twenty fourth pick this year, but I don't know how they look for the future draft picks either because I know they traded a first round pick for Fitzpatrick. I think I don't know if that draft has come and gone. Um, but, I, yeah, I don't know if the Steelers have enough draft capital to actually move up into the top five. Um, the Steelers are always in contention, so I'm sure they're looking ahead towards their future plans. And I'm, I'm actually surprised Roethlisberger even came back this year. So you're right. They definitely do need a quarterback. Um, so that's definitely a possibility. And one last thing while we're on the topic, um, I think another thing that would help out if Justin Fields were to land in New England is I think there's really no better prototype to – learn from than Cam Newton. So even if Cam Newton started this this next year and we had Justin Fields sit, I think if Cam Newton's also at that age too, I think he's matured enough so he would be willing to actually coach a younger player. And I think their playing styles are much more similar. And I think the Patriots are actually moving away from the pocket passer quarterback. So I think honestly I think Justin Fields fit here would be awesome. And I think I am dreaming a little bit thinking that he could come here. 
Um, but I think that if he were to come here, I think he could develop really well under Cam Newton. And I know Chris wants to see Cam Newton play next year, so that might work out for everyone. I just don't want a rookie quarterback right now. That's it. I That's think fair. it's still too early to give up on Jarrett Stidham, although he hasn't really started much. But I don't know. I, I think they're better off going somewhere else with quarterback at 15, and I've been saying that for a while. I disagree with the Jarrett Stidham thing, but um, I think I think he's – no, he's a fourth-rounder. He, he didn't show much even in the small amount of playing time that he had last year. I just – I don't think he's going to – He's shown that he's – I know obviously it's a small sample size, but I just don't think he's going to be the guy or he has the potential to be the guy. But moving on a little bit, the Jets this week – that was enough. this was not technically an NFL draft trade, but it was a trade that has huge implications on the NFL draft. So the New York Jets, they trade with the Carolina Panthers for Sam Darnold. So Sam Darnold is headed over to Carolina um, in exchange for a late 2021 six-rounder and a second rounder, and then a fourth rounder in 2022. So this means the um, Sam Darnold era in New York is over. They're having a new clean slate. Adam Gase is gone. They're having essentially a whole new rebuild after a whole new rebuild. And Sam Darnold is going to be the guy in Carolina. So this essentially pushes Teddy Bridgewater back into a backup role, or they might trade him or cut him. I don't know what Carolina is going to do with him. So what do you guys think about the Jets moving on from Sam Darnold? I don't think it's much of a surprise to anyone for sure. I don't think Carolina was really the landing spot anyone really thought of. I'm just more interested to see what they do with Teddy Bridgewater now. I think the best thing for them would to be to send them to the team that brought him into the NFL, which, which would be the Minnesota Vikings. I think we've. I think people have realized that Kirk Cousins really isn't the answer if the Vikings want to do anything. I mean, they have a good offensive core. They just need a better quarterback than Kirk Cousins. And I don't want to say Teddy Bridgewater is that much better than him, but I think he could have a much better impact on that team than um, than Kirk Cousins would. I know we we were talking about the Panthers and Jets, but like that's been my thought process since that trade has happened is what what they're going to do with Teddy Bridgewater. James? Yeah, I think, like Chris said, I think we could probably see this coming because I think they've been linked with Zach Wilson for a long time here. I, obviously, they kind of sold low on Sam Darnold because he, you know, they kind of already played their hand and said that they were moving on from him. So they didn't get like a, a ton for Sam Darnold, who was a very high pick. Um, I think this also is kind of a little bit of a head scratcher to me for um, the Panthers because. I know Sam Darnold has a lot of potential and all that, but I honestly, in my opinion, and I don't know, you guys could feel differently, but I don't think Sam Darnold is that much better than Teddy Bridgewater. So it's kind of baffling to me for them to like give up all those picks just to get maybe a little bit better. Um, but I could be completely wrong, and Sam Darnold could reach his full potential next year. Um, he is pairing back up with Robbie Anderson, um, and I think he's on a much better team. So obviously he could prove to he could prove this take to be very stupid, but I think that. The Panthers, if they were going to go after quarterback, I think they should have went after someone else. And um, in terms of like, like this trade, like I, I definitely think that the Jets had to move on from him. And so I guess getting um, three picks was was good enough because I think they showed their hand and he was going to be out the door anyways. Yeah, um, I don't know if Sam Darnold has played under Adam Gase his entire career. I don't I think that I think he has. I think he was there since his rookie season. But so that alone, I think 
lets him desert or allows him to get a second chance considering how bad of a coach Adam Gase is. I want to see him not in that terrible Jets offensive system that he was running last last year and the year before. I was one of the proponents and people who advocated that I wanted to see him Sam Darnold return. I thought the Jets should give him another chance and draft a receiver with their um, second overall pick. But now looking back on it, you know, now that they got rid of him, they they must they must absolutely hate that win that they had against the Rams earlier this year. Where uh, it just you know it com- took them out of the Trevor Lawrence contention and put the Jags up there number one. So Sean McVay's and the Rams collapse looking back on it, just had huge implications now for this team and the decisions moving forward. So I don't know. It's going to be very interesting what we see from Sam Darnold. I'm rooting for him because I want to see him succeed. But, you know, Carolina hasn't exactly had the greatest reputation for quarterbacks since Cam Newton has left. So, um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. So, Uh, Real quick, Josh, just going off of something you just said. um, I just looked it up. Sam Darnold was drafted in 2018 and Adam Gase was the coach of the Jets starting in 2019. So I believe in 2018, that was probably Todd Bowles who yep. was the coach his rookie year, if I'm correct. But that was just to answer your question before of if Gase was there when Darnold was a rookie. Got it. Okay. Todd Bowles, you know, he's a great defensive coordinator. I don't know if he's a great offensive coach. So anyway, I, I want to see him in a new system on a new team. I think he deserves a fresh start. So um, now we're going to be moving on to the Celtics a little bit. They just had a win over the Knicks just a little bit earlier today. We were watching that game right before we came on air. They beat New York 101 to 99. And this was essentially a battle for the eighth seed of the Eastern conference. The Celtics are now um, at seventh and the Knicks are at eighth. So if the Celtics lost, they would be at the last playoff spot in the entire Eastern conference, but they're able to win. They're at 500 now. Um, so, guys, what did you think about the Celtics' win just earlier today, beating the Knicks out and becoming the sole seventh seed in the Eastern Conference? It wasn't pretty, but a win's a win, so we can't be too mad at that. Definitely did suck last night to see them lose to the uh, 76ers, but, I mean, it's just been the Celtics we've seen all season long, and they just haven't figured out how to win consistently, which is why they're down in the 7-8 seed range and might have to play in one of those play-in games when it comes to playoff time so it, it's just a little tough right now watching the Celtics because they're not dominating like they should and it's just tough to see yeah speaking of that 76ers game you guys saw Embiid make the Celtics look like a middle school team right he was just having his way with us and it's like I know I've been saying that for a while but I mean I hate to beat a dead horse but like we should have done something at the big man position and I'm, I think I'm going to continue to say that until Danny Ainge leaves because I don't think he's ever going to do anything at the big man position. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's kind of scary, too, because if we reverse a team like that that has a dominant center in the playoffs, I don't, I really don't see us, like, being able to compete with them. Um, but it's good that we got a win tonight against the Knicks. Uh, the Knicks have been playing better than years past, so it was a close win. But, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't see how we should be in the seventh seed right now. We have way too much talent. Um, and hopefully we start to, to piece things together because it's still, I mean, we are getting further into the season, but there's, there's still a lot of basketball left. So we got to get up towards that middle of the pack, like fourth or fifth seed for me to feel a little more comfortable. Mm-hmm. One thing I will say, because they lost, like you said, James, they lost last night in the garden against the Sixers. Joel Embiid had 
his way. I mean, my God, you know, in the, at least in the first quarter, because he kind of moved more towards the shooting and perimeter game in the second half. But Rob Williams got in early foul trouble in that first quarter. He had two fouls and he had to leave. So they put in Tony Cornette. And good God, man, Joel Embiid absolutely just destroyed Tony Cornette. He ended his career, basically. Tony Cornette looked completely just mismatched against Joel Embiid. It's just, and it shows that we have a serious problem defensively at the big man position. You know, Rob Williams, he's great, but, you know, the best he can do is, I don't know, I guess foul Embiid, because that's just how great of a player he's been this season. Um, Taco even got a little bit of playing time, and he wasn't doing half bad against Embiid, but that's just because of his height. He was, you know, his movement isn't exactly the best. He's still kind of really slow on the court, but um, that was slightly encouraging. At least he Taco get some minutes and not do terribly against Joel Embiid. So that was a positive sign. But Evan Fournier, he's in currently in um, COVID protocol, but he had a great game. I think he hit eight threes against the Charlotte Hornets, Charlotte Hornets just last week. It was kind of his first um, coming out game after he struggled in his um, debut that he had with Boston. But he had, I think, eight threes, and he provided a much-needed shooting boost for this team that we've needed for a long time. So obviously he hasn't played the last two games because he's in COVID protocol in Oklahoma City right now. What do you guys think about um, the few games that Evan Fournier has played now after he's kind of found his stride a little bit? Yeah, it would be the Celtics look that they would be missing him tonight because of because that's just how it, how it goes. But yeah, I think he's a player. I think when the trade went down, I was like thinking about it more. I think he is going to facilitate that Gordon Hayward role, which I think a lot of us underestimated how much we were actually going to miss him because he's not actually, he wasn't like an all-star. He wasn't putting up the 20 points per game, but he does such, so much, so much of the little stuff. And it's going to take that much pressure off of Brown and um, Tatum to have to feel like they have to score all the time. If you have um, a guy like Fournier off the bench with the ability to drop 20 points per game. So I think this is going to be a great fit. I mean, obviously he has to get integrated because um, I mean, we whooped the Hornets the other night. So I think, this will be a great fit. I think we just, it seems like we can never have everyone healthy though. I mean, I know it's kind of been like the Celtics thing for the last five or so years, but if we could just somehow find like a healthy stretch here, I think, um, I think this Fournier deal is actually going to pay dividends, especially since they didn't give up much. Uh, he just needs more time to get acquainted with his teammates. Yeah. I think, I think he's going to be a great addition as like that six man slash bench scorer for the Celtics. Obviously, the six-man role nowadays is kind of reserved for Marcus Smart when he doesn't start, but obviously he's not. He can struggle shooting the ball at times, and I think Fournier will do a much better job of that. But as we kind of established, I think he definitely is going to be like that a slightly lesser version of Gordon Hayward. I don't believe his passing is as good as Gordon Hayward. I think that's what we're seriously missing from him now that he's in Charlotte. But I think Evan Fournier, Fournier will be solid down the stretch going forward for the Celtics, but Going back to the uh, um, Sixers game last night, I don't know if either of you guys saw this. I'm reading a tweet from Legion Hoops right now. Kemba Walker is 0-14 in NBA games against Ben Simmons. So that's never good. And then going back to – one of the bright sides from the game last night is the two games coming into – the two games coming into last night against the Celtics, uh, Embiid was averaging 40 a game. He only scored 35 last night, so it brought his average down. So at least that's some kind of positive for the Celtics. <laughs> Those are real, 
little round of applause right there. Way to go, Boston. You, you kept him at 35. <laughs> um, one thing I'm very intrigued about, because right now as it stands, if the playoffs started today, and I think there's about 20 games left on the schedule, and so like about a month and a half. So right now, if we started the playoffs today, we would be playing Brooklyn, who is the two seed, and we are the seventh seed. And Brooklyn has had a lot of health concerns. Kevin Durant, this was his first game back after, I think, since February 23rd. So he's missed a good amount of games, and Harden just recently got hurt. So Kyrie's kind of been like the main guy, which is kind of funny to see after what happened, where he just kind of left the team earlier this season. But he's like been the main guy leading this team now down the stretch. So I think, honestly, if because Harden, I think, is going to be the, the guy that propels the Nets over us like if they have all three of them there's I don't think we have a chance of beating that team in the playoffs but if Harden is missing because this team has had major durability concerns I don't know if KD is going to be 100% by the time the playoffs roll around I think there is a legitimate chance because if this just um KD and Kyrie because obviously you know they've acquired Aldridge they've got Blake Griffin and a couple other guys so their bench has definitely improved but I do think that it's not implausible that there is a chance we could take this series into like six or seven games against Brooklyn if Harden is not there. But if Harden's there, I don't think we stand a chance. What do you guys think about that? If the, if the Nets have two of the three between Kyrie, Katie and Harden for an entire series, I don't think the Celtics stand a chance. I would think the Celtics have a better chance against a fully healthy 76 or squad since they seem to have their number when it comes to playoffs. But I think the only way the Celtics would beat the Nets in a series is if somehow only one of the three played between KD, Kyrie, and Harden, which I hope doesn't happen because that would mean that they're hurt, which I'm not wishing them to be hurt. I just don't – I don't see the Celtics beating the Nets in a series no matter who plays, to be honest. Yeah, with, with that big three intact, there's absolutely no way that we would win that series. And, again, I'm going to go back to there's no there's no interior presence – so one of those guys could be able to drive the lane, kind of get to the basket as w- at will, and then the other two guys would be sitting out on the corners just spotting up for an open shot. I mean, I just I don't see that going very well at all. So thankfully the season doesn't end now, so we don't have to play the Nets. Um, I think, honestly, I got of all the teams in the East, I think right now um, I'd pretty much take us going against anyone else except for the Nets. Um, even like the Bucks, I know I think we can still beat the Bucks. I don't think – they kind of like fall apart in the playoffs for the most part. So I think we could take them, but yeah, for the question, I, I don't see us beating the nets unless something drastic happens. Like if KD, God forbid, uh, tears his other Achilles. I mean, you know what I mean? This is going to take something absolutely drastic for us to be able to beat the nets. So. All right. On that hopeful note, we're going to be moving on to the NCAA championship game that just happened. Uh, I think it was Monday, just a few days yeah. ago. So um, Baylor, they defeated Gonzaga 86 to 70 to end March Madness. And this was a shocker for a lot of people because Gonzaga, you know, coming in with an unbeaten, unblemished record. Um, they beat UCLA after a very um, great shot by Suggs. Um, I think it was at the end of regulation where he just hit like essentially a half court. Three- it was in overtime. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In overtime. So he hit like a, almost a half court three point buzzer beater to win the game. So it was a great scene, but then they come in and Baylor just honestly curb stomped them. Like it, it was a beat down. So, um, you know, now that our brackets are done and March madness 
is finished. What were your guys' takeaways from Baylor defeating Gonzaga in the championship game? Baylor. You can go first, James, actually. Well, I was going to say, just my biggest takeaway is that it just shows you once again how like hard it is to have an, um, a perfect season. Um, you know, us living in New England, we know it very well. Um, the Patriots were that close, but just no cigar. So I think, you know, all the pressure was on Gonzaga because they literally had one more game to have a perfect season. Um, Baylor was a number one seed, so of course they're a good enough team to be there. And I think, honestly, I think it was the pressure of just having that perfect season in the back of their minds was, was enough to do it. Because Baylor is a great team. Um, obviously, Gonzaga was the powerhouse going into the bracket. But, I mean, Baylor deserved to be there. They definitely could win that game. So, that's all I have to take from it. Gonzaga definitely has some great players like Timmy and Jalen Suggs and a couple others. But it just seemed like Baylor just had the much deeper team. And it, it felt like almost anyone on Baylor could shoot the three that night and make it. And they, they were just playing physical defense. And they just got off to a hard, hot start and just never looked back. And it was why they kind of just dominated them and won it all. And like James already mentioned, I was never a believer in the Gonzaga completing the perfect season. But and so it, like you said, it just goes to prove how tough it actually is. But I, it, it was still a, not a great game, obviously, since Baylor blew them out. But it was just still – Good to watch. Good to see that perfection didn't happen again, if I'm being honest. Yeah, Baylor's been kind of the, the number one unsung one seed, I think, of the whole tournament. Like, um, we've talked a lot about Gonzaga, Michigan, Illinois, and then there's Baylor. So Baylor's kind of just been like the odd one out. Like, people haven't talked about them. They've just kind of been a dark horse throughout the whole bracket. So um, I think Gonzaga was definitely a little bit fatigued after playing UCLA, because UCLA played them really hard, at least in that Final Four game. So I think they were kind of just a little bit exhausted from that matchup that they had, and it kind of took the wind out of them a little bit. And then Baylor just showed up, and, you know, we saw what they did at Houston, which is a, who was a very good team, and then they just destroyed them, you know, physically. And out of the three of us, I don't think any of us had either of these two teams in the national championship I don't think we had either of us had those two teams in the finals, but I believe they were saying this during the championship game the other night. Like this was probably like the sixth or seventh time that the preseason one and two teams ended up facing off in the championship because they were preseason. They were one and two and going into the tournament, they were both the top two teams. And I think it was like the past five times that's happened. The the number two team, which was Baylor won the game. So it just goes to prove that, sometimes when you're the top dog that you just can't pull it out all the time. Yeah. Um, all right. So I know James probably got to take off pretty soon cause he's got something he's got to do. So um, you only hear from James for the rest of the show. He don't worry. He didn't die. He just, he's got to go do some homework for the rest of the night. We're still so, college kids. We got to get shit yes, done on occasion. Exactly. I'll be back. I'll be back for the next episode. <laughs> Wait, all James, right. before you go real quick, since we're going to hop into the topic. Quick thoughts on the Sox Boston Marathon jerseys. Oh, you mean the Indiana Pacers jerseys? The yellow ones? The, the UCLA jerseys? <laughs> yeah, it's just I, that's a weird Boston Red Sox jersey. I mean, I guess it makes sense with, you know, it being marathon tailored. Um, but again, I don't know what's going on with baseball, man. I thought baseball was all about tradition and keeping things normal. Red Sox have always had, you know, white and red. Uh, they'll throw in the occasional gray jersey, but I don't know what the heck that friggin' 
puke color jersey was. It's just it's just not my favorite. I think it, they don't even look like a professional team. It looks like um like a friggin' jersey like Will Ferrell would star in for like a friggin' fake baseball <laughs> team. Like it just doesn't look like a real team, and especially not the Boston Red Sox, one of the most storied franchises in in MLB history. So. <laughs> I'm gonna love to hear your takes. I know Chris, you're a big Jersey guy, so you yeah. have some opinions. I mean, the the entire concept of the Jersey, I I love how they're like donated to honor the marathon and everything that happened in 2013 with that. But like the Jersey itself, I'm just not a fan. And we touched upon this a couple of weeks ago with the NBA and their jerseys. I just don't like when teams make jerseys and the colors don't align with the actual team's colors. It just bothers me. And even these Sox jerseys still bother me in a way. You know, I really think because these kind of remind me of like softball uniforms a little bit. And, you know, there's like a little bit of a distinction, I think, between baseball and softball uniforms. Softball, at least in my experience, like they kind of use a lot more um, unique like color combinations, I want to say. Like they, they're able to combine like like with stripes and stuff like that. So this felt a little bit more like softball-esque. I'm not saying that that's a positive or negative. That's just the vibe I got from it. But I I know this is obviously like paying homage to the Boston Marathon. Um, but I really think that they should have included a little bit more like – they should have included like red somewhere in this jersey. Like I think instead of like the um, the the yellow that we put in, I think that we should have used like that little baby blue white that they put in and use like a red for like the Red Sox. I think that would have looked a lot better and it would have kind of combined the Boston Marathon theme that they're going for with like an actual Red Sox color. I think it would have looked a lot better if they did that. So I'm just not a fan of the millions of jerseys Nike loves to come out with now because that's also the thing. Nike runs the MLB jerseys and you know how Nike loves making tons of jerseys for the NBA. I think they're trying to do that with the MLB now. So we'll yeah. see how it goes in the future. Yeah. All right. So we're going to move on to on this day in sports history. We had a good amount of stuff happen, guys. Like the last three weeks, I think we had a combined amount of like six total events. <laughs> this week we have one, two, three, seven. We have seven events in just this one week. So a whole lot of stuff has happened throughout history. So starting off 1928, um, 44 year old New York Rangers GM Lester Patrick replaced his injured goaltender in a Stanley cup game. And they beat the Montreal Maroons two to one in overtime. And then the Rangers would go on to win that series three to two, very similar to what we saw. I forget who it was. I think it was the devils who had like one of the um, Zamboni drivers come in to play goaltending for like the final period. I remember that. Uh, that was I forget, awesome. I forget if it was that team, but I remember I, that a couple yeah, years ago. I, it was an East Coast team. I don't remember who it was, but that was a great moment. I thought it was cool. So that's kind of reminiscent of that a little bit. Um, in 1943, the NFL adopted the free substitution rule, and helmets were made mandatory for all players. So it wasn't like kind of more like a rugby-esque thing that they used to be. And then the 10-game schedule for all teams was approved. And we just finished talking about last week how a 17-game schedule was just approved so the regular season is seven games longer than it was in 1943. So um, also in 1943, uh, the Stanley Cup final at the Boston Garden, the Red Wings beat the Boston Bruins 2-0 for a 4-0 series sweep and their third Stanley Cup championship. So not a great moment there, but a moment nonetheless. In 1959, it was the 13th NBA championship 
and the Boston Celtics swept the Minnesota Lakers in four games. And it was the first of the Boston Celtics record eight straight titles. This was when Bill Russell was on the team and the legend that he is. And then in 1967, 76er Wilt Chamberlain set an NBA record of 41 rebounds in a single game, which you just, I don't think anyone could possibly imagine a single player doing that. A lot of Wilt's records are just completely out there now. And um, in 1973, the NFL adopted the jersey numbering system, which I know we're about to touch on, but there a lot of that is like that. There's a new rule coming into question, changing that and allowing players to honestly be whatever number they want. So it's not exclusive to like quarterbacks being like number one through 19. They could be number 57 if they want. So a lot of things changed up there. And then in 2019, the Tampa Bay Lightning, <laughs> this was um, two years ago now. The Tampa Bay Lightning beat the Boston Bruins 6-3 to in the season finale for their 62nd regular season win, um, tying the NHL record held by the Detroit Red Wings in 1995-1996. Um, they had 128 points, which is the fourth in NFL history. So a lot of records were broken this week, Chris. Did any of them catch your eye? So the, the last one you said the uh, from 2019 with the Lightning and Bruins, that one stings a little bit because that was also the same season. The Bruins ended up losing the Stanley Cup, so that one sucks. Um, what else was it? The, the And then the one before that of the NFL jersey number system, that's interesting to see, especially with uh, the new rule proposal to let – to uh, not, be, not be more inclusive, but, like, expand the options that players have for jersey numbers. So – Whatever comes from that is going to be interesting to see in the future. Uh, what else is there? Um, what was I looking at? We discussed the goaltend, the GM slash goaltender from the Rangers. Um, the, oh, the Rangers? <clears throat> oh, wait, was it the oh. – oh, I'm thinking I'm trying to figure out the Zamboni driver who did it recently. Keep going. Yeah, uh, yeah. I honestly think that one might have been the Carolina it, Hurricanes. Oh, uh, was it uh, – yeah. yeah, I think it was Carolina. Hold on. No, keep going. I'm going to look it up all year. Yeah. But um, one, of the more, one of the things that I liked the most from that list was uh, the Celtics winning their first straight of uh, eight titles because I always like, like to look back and just see how dominant the Celtics were during that time, being able to win eight straight. No one can – a record like that will never be replicated again. I mean, the clo- I think the closest we're ever going to get is seeing LeBron in, what was it, ten straight finals, although he only won four of them. Like, I think that's the closest that record will ever come to being broken. So that would be very uh, unlikely. No, like, the closest Jordan got was a three-peat. Like, yeah, he got he the two, he got the two got, three-peats. Yeah. So, but in terms of, like, actually, like, making it to that many finals in a row and winning that many, I don't think that'll ever happen again. But LeBron making it to ten in a row is probably the closest thing. Yeah, just, you know, I watched The Last Dance, and even you can hear MJ just talking about how he was mentally exhausted after the third championship because you have to kind of reset your mind after each championship win and have to kind of carry over that same hunger that you had into the next season. And that's really difficult for a lot of players to do after they've already reached the top. So, but adding on, I was going to say, want to know who that isn't difficult for Hmm. some dude that uh, just won the Super Bowl for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tom Brady. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it looks like he's he, he he can easily reset and go on to the next season. Yeah, if anyone could do it, Tom can. I don't know if he's going to be able to do eight straight. You know, you never know. The uh, Alex Guerrero's got something up his sleeve to reverse Father Tom. He's able to play another eight straight years. You never know. But 
to um, fact check you, Chris, you were right. It was the Carolina Hurricanes. It was a guy named David Ayers who was the Zamboni driver. I think it was he was the he entered the game as the emergency backup goaltender for the Hurricanes, and he stopped eight of ten shots and got credit for a six to three victory against the Maple Leafs. So <laughs> he was. It was that's what happened basically in 1943 or 1928, excuse me, for the Rangers. So I love seeing that kind of stuff, especially you can't have that in football. You can't have that. Maybe you could have it in baseball, but I've never seen it. Um, I don't think you can have it in basketball, but in hockey, you can have it. And I'm always loving whenever some random guy comes out of the tunnel, like with like a Metallica Enter Sandman kind of intro going on, looking like a WWE star. So meanwhile, anyway, it's just an accountant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> some freaking team accountant who works on the salary cap just comes out and just blocks 15 to 20 shots. Um, yeah. It's just great. Only hockey can have those kind of moments. I love that about the sport, but all right, guys, that's going to do it for episode number nine of the Best of Beantown podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We're going to have a lot more stuff coming up, especially later this week. We're going to be on the lock-in segment for WSFR, so be sure to go in and listen at 4 a.m. Eastern time. So if you happen to be up on Sunday at, remember, Sunday at 4 a.m. Eastern time. I was confused about it too, but 4 a.m. Eastern time in the morning on Sunday, we will be doing... April 11th. April 11th, we will be on the WSFR live stream and we're going to be doing a little sports segment and kind of, you know, it's not technically March madness anymore, but it's going to be April madness for us. So we're going to be comparing the greatest Boston sports moments in a bracket. And we're going to try to pick up the winner um, based off our picks and, you know, the seeding and all that stuff. So be sure to tune into that. Um, Other than that, if you guys aren't able to make that, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in. See ya.